So uh, Jesus is going around saying these absurd things, naming the greatest deficits of our experience and calling them blessed because he's saying something about the radical availability of God's kingdom, about how good and generous and available it is. It's grace through and through. It's gospel through and through. I mentioned last week a writer named Dallas Willard who writes at length about what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God. And he paraphrases a moment in Mark's gospel uh, where we read it like this. He says, Jesus then came into Galilee announcing the good news from God, saying, all the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the rule of God, that's the kingdom of God, the reign of God in our lives is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity of the with God life that's freely given in the here and now for anyone who wants to open their heart to it. And so we're hearing uh, these beatitudes, these early words from Jesus at the beginning of this invitation. And uh, it was important to me that we get clear, first of all, that it doesn't seem that Jesus is prescribing anything, that he's not telling you to, to get poor in spirit, that he's not telling you to pretend to be meek, that if, if you're not grieving today, that he's telling you to start grieving today. That seems to get backwards what he's doing. He's not telling you how you make yourself eligible for God's kingdom. He's telling you even the most ineligible experiences are somehow eligible in God's kingdom. So this is grace through and through, freely given. It's like if this litany of uh, the worst kinds of people and experiences, if, if those moments can even qualify a person, then any moment can qualify a person. If these kinds of people are eligible for God's kingdom, then any kind of people are eligible for God's kingdom. That seems to be Jesus' starting point, grace and gospel through and through. But I want to observe not just like what's on offer here, but what it might do inside us as we revisit that first half of these blessings and then kind of move toward the second half. Because I've been uh, wrestling with this passage for a very long time. Um, especially how it's met me in moments when I have felt the farthest away from God's kingdom. And I've begun to observe uh, what might actually happen in us if we take Jesus seriously when he proclaims these blessings. So I've thought, for example, about moments in my life when I have found a poverty within me or around me. When um, joy or hope or that sort of abundant thing within you that you would hope would be there that you could live out of is just gone. When your tank is empty, when your heart is empty, when your life feels empty. I've thought about those moments of poverty that I have experienced. And I thought about in those moments, my temptation is uh, to build up a wall around my heart so that I can't be robbed again. Like if I look within me and I find a poverty there, if I look around me and I find a poverty there, if you've been robbed or find yourself destitute, your temptation might be to build a wall so high and so thick that you cannot be robbed again, so that you cannot be found without again, right? You might get miserly in your spirit if you find a poverty in your spirit. And I hear Jesus saying, even in your poverty, I call you blessed because the kingdom of God is so abundant and available and good and generous. And if that's actually true, if it's actually true that Jesus could look at me in my poverty and call me blessed because of what he knows about God's kingdom, then maybe I don't have to build a wall around my heart, protect myself, cover things up, or become a miser because it's not on me to fill that need, right? I think about when I'm um, tempted to grieve or lament or mourn, when I've lost something in the world. And I think about how um, to weep 
feels like the most difficult thing, and so I'm tempted to, to do other things, right? I find that I've lost uh, who I loved or what I loved, or I've lost my dream, or the world has failed to be what we had hoped that it would be. And the temptation for me, because mourning is not a comfortable thing, the temptation for me is to put on a plastic smile, to pretend that everything's okay, to preach uh, like optimistic religion to myself or my church. Maybe that's your temptation. Or maybe my temptation is to grow hard-hearted and judge the world for what's missing or judge my life for what's missing. Because I've learned it's easier to judge than to weep. But if Jesus actually says, I can even call your mourning, your grieving, I can even call that blessed because the kingdom is so good, then maybe I don't have to fear the lament that is rising up in my soul. Maybe I can actually engage it. I can actually let it speak in my life for a moment. If I have found myself meek in a world where the people who have what they need are the people who take it for themselves, and that meekness has meant that I don't think I have what I will need, the temptation then is to play the power game that everybody else is playing, right? The temptation is to try to make myself the alpha because it's the alphas who get what they need in a world of haves and have-nots. But if Jesus says, I can call your meekness blessed because the kingdom of God is giving you the whole world, then I don't have to play these power games. I can sit in my meekness and trust that God will give me what I need. If I am aching for things to be made right in me or around me, the temptation for me is to fill that hungry belly with, uh, with counterfeit food, with, with false ideas of what's right or good in me or around me, rather than sit there with the hunger and the thirst for righteousness. But if Jesus means it when he says, I call that hunger and that thirst blessed because God's kingdom can fill that desire, then maybe I don't have to fill my belly with counterfeit things. Maybe I can wait to be filled with the real thing. I don't think these beatitudes are prescriptions for being good people. I don't think this is how you earn your way into the kingdom, but I do think they could do something in us. If we sit with these pronouncements from Jesus long enough, if we are at all willing to trust him when he says even the worst deficits of character or circumstance or spirit can be overcome and overwhelmed by God's kingdom because it is so good and so available and so generous right now. Like something starts... Uh, to happen inside me. I think this is really important. When your world breaks, when the world breaks, what, what's your first impulse? Like, what are you inclined to do in those moments? I think often those of us who find ourselves standing in the ruins of a world that has broken or the ruins of our lives when they are broken, I think our first move is to want to be powerful in the midst of those ruins. I mean, wouldn't that feel good? Whether your life has broken or whether the world has broken, we want to feel powerful in those ruins. But have you ever observed that sometimes the kind of power that we try to bring to bear in the world just makes things worse? Have you ever observed that the kind of power that we try to bring into the world just seems to sort of play along with what's already breaking in the world? It's as if we're trying to fight fire with fire and then wonder why the house burnt down, right? So like, your marriage is not working. It is breaking, it's falling apart. And because that's uncomfortable, um, you make some maneuvers, right? I, maybe what's happened fundamentally is your marriage has become an unsafe place for you or your partner or for both of you. And that's actually part of the energy that is breaking your marriage. But what do you do when you're in an unsafe place? You defend yourself, right? What do you do when you're in an unsafe place? You start launching preemptive attacks against the enemy, right? And all of a sudden you look at your marriage and you wonder why it keeps breaking only to discover that you've been trying to fix it with the same power that's breaking it and it won't do any good. 
Or you're carrying a trauma around with you. Maybe you haven't even named it. Maybe it's been with you from before, before the years of your life when you had language to describe your experience. You're carrying a trauma around with you, and you might not have named it, but it's with you. And because it's uncomfortable and because you just don't want to face whatever it is about that trauma that makes you afraid or uncomfortable, you begin to cope. And the coping mechanisms essentially sort of kind of numb the trauma that is walking with you, though it's still there. And then you realize one day that the coping mechanisms are worse than the trauma that you were running from, right? And you discover that whatever we are fighting cannot be defeated by the power that created it. And the world is breaking and our lives are breaking and Jesus seems to be saying you can't just play along with the power games of the world. Something has to get fundamentally transformed or converted in us if we will stop investing in these broken kingdoms and start being a part of the life of God's kingdom that makes good and beautiful things all around. Something has to be converted within us. And so I observe Jesus saying, in your poverty, I call you blessed. So maybe you don't have to run away from your poverty. Maybe you don't have to try to cover it up. And you're grieving and you're mourning and you're lamenting. I call you blessed because the kingdom of God can bring comfort to you so you don't have to run from what you have lost. I call you blessed when you are the meek one because the kingdom of God will give you all things and so you don't have to play along with the power games. I call you blessed when your stomach is gnawing with its emptiness, hungering and thirsting for rightness within you or around you. Jesus says, I call you blessed because even that desire will be filled in God's kingdom so you don't have to move toward counterfeit things that pretend to fill your belly but will leave you hungry again. Whatever you are fighting cannot be defeated by the power that created it. And Jesus is inviting us to a fundamental transformation of power into a completely different way of being human, into a new way of relating to everything breaking around us and in us, which makes sense for me of the second half of these Beatitudes. So Jesus has named poverty of spirit and mourning or grieving and meekness and hungering or thirsting for righteousness or justice. Those are all fundamental experiences of powerlessness, right? And I'm just observing that the next thing he says begins to presume some power because the next thing he says is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what I'm offering right now is an interpretation, okay? I could be wrong about this. And um, while I trust the scholarship I've leaned into on this opening sort of thing in the Beatitudes, that these are not prescriptions, they're graces, what I'm doing here, this is just my best sense of all the scholarship and all my experience. And uh, I might be wrong about this, but this is my best play, okay? This is how I understand this today. He says, blessed are the merciful where there will be shown mercy. It's the first time in the Beatitudes that Jesus names an experience of some power, right? Because to, to be merciful is to presume that you have some power to exact some kind of vengeance, right? To be merciful is to refrain from using some power in your life against someone else, right? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now we have something that sounds a bit virtuous. Poverty in spirit doesn't sound that virtuous. Pure in heart sounds a bit virtuous. Blessed are the peacemakers. That sounds like an exercise of profound power in the world. Nobody celebrates the meek in history. Nobody celebrates those who grieved in history, but we celebrate the peacemakers after they've died, of course, because we didn't understand them in their time, right? 
He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He gets to the end of this thing, and he says, there might be an experience in your life where you are are such a threat to the disorder that the power of the disorder might have to come after you, might have to set its sights on you. So in like eight sentences, Jesus has gone from naming the greatest deficits of human experience to the greatest power of a human life, which is that you would come against evil so meaningfully that evil would have to come after you. Do you sense the, the movement in that, the turn in that? It's as if Jesus begins by saying, whatever you are fighting cannot be defeated by the power that created it. But if If you trust these blessings, if you trust the goodness of the kingdom, if you trust the radical abundance and generosity of God's kingdom, you might actually become a transformed person. You might actually be converted from a counterfeit version of power to real power that actually builds God's kingdom in the world. You might become the kind of person that Jesus was so that evil might have to come at you like it came at him because you are such a threat to everything that is breaking in the world. To me, this is profoundly promising. It's not easy, but it's promising. Like he's actually inviting us into a journey of conversion. I don't mean conversion for your brain. I mean conversion for your life, your soul, your energies, your power in the world. Blessed are the merciful. You might get taken advantage of. Everybody might look at you and call you a fool or naive, but you will have laid down your power for vengeance because you believe real power works differently from that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, uh, whenever I see the word God in the scriptures, uh, I, I try to use um, a bunch of other words around that word to remind me of the fullness of what we mean theologically by that word. Sometimes the word that I sort of surround that word with is ultimate reality, right? Um, because if it's ultimately real, then it's surely of God. And if it's of God, then it's ultimately real, unendingly real, enduringly real, right? And um, the way I've worked with this, this peculiar blessing here is as a, a confrontation against cynicism because the cynic is the person who says, I know what is ultimately real, and what is ultimately real is entropy. What is ultimately real is the thing keeps breaking down. What is ultimately real is this world really is haves and have-nots, and that's the way it will always be, so better be a have than a have-not, Right? That's the definition of cynicism. And Jesus is saying, if you walk with me on this journey, I might actually bring you to a place where you see that what is ultimately real is not entropy, is not things falling down or falling apart. What is ultimately real is the goodness of God's kingdom. And that at the end of time, it won't be God's kingdom that falters against evil and brokenness. It will be evil and brokenness which falter against God's kingdom. And it's like Jesus is saying, I can actually help you see that. I could actually convert your vision to discover that in the world. And then you'll see God everywhere in places where nobody else sees any hope or any promise. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I used to think that sounds really beautiful. Like, really, I mean, wouldn't that be great to be called children of God? And then the problem is I met some real-life bona fide peacemakers. And you know what? I've discovered, I think the reason Jesus promises that you will be called a child of God is because if you're actually a peacemaker, nobody else will claim you. (laughs) Nobody wants peacemakers because they refuse to tie in with the tribe. Nobody wants peacemakers because they refuse to play along with the us versus them. And so it's like Jesus is saying, the good news is you'll be a child of God. Granted, nobody else will claim you. But at the end of the day, 
What kind of claiming really matters in your life? If God claims you, what other tribe do you need? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And on my worst days, in my poverty of spirit, I could care less about that. But on my best days, when I have discovered, when I've tasted the goodness of God's kingdom, when I've realized that Jesus isn't naive, when I've realized this isn't pie in the sky, but these are enduring promises of the goodness of God, on my best days, when I'm actually awake and alive to all of that, I realize the only kind of life worth living, the only kind of life I want to live, the few minutes that I have on planet Earth, I would like to become the kind of person who has the ability to join God in pushing back against the darkness so much that the darkness has to come at me and I can say bring it on that's actually the kind of person I want to become and I think Jesus is saying we can do that together if you would like this is profoundly promising this is big cosmic stuff that Jesus is naming in these quaint little blessings on a mountain 2,000 years ago and there's a reason that for 2,000 years we keep coming back to them because I think they set the arc of the whole journey Earlier, uh, we looked at the gospel text, which is in the lectionary for today. So Jesus' communities all around the world are centering on these same moments in the life of Jesus. We looked at the first part of that text earlier in our liturgy today. I want to look at the next part of the text. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. We've looked at this passage before. Remember what we read earlier. They declared, Jesus, you are the Messiah, which means you are the king, which means you are the anointed one, which means you're the one that we expect to turn all of this around. And it's clear in this next moment here that Peter is working with one version of power. It's the kind of power that keeps breaking the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to convert you to a fundamentally different idea of what power looks like in the world. And so they've said, Messiah, the King, the Christ. And he says, yep, and I'm going to suffer, which is an absurdity to Peter. It's a paradox to Peter in the same way that these Beatitudes are absurdities or paradoxes to Peter. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but ultimately human concerns. Another way of reading that is, you're still living in the kingdoms of this world, and I'm trying to invite you into the life of the kingdom of God. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. Jesus knows his life will go through crucifixion before it enjoys resurrection, and he says, it'll be the same for you if you want to follow me in this kingdom. What is that? That's the arc of the Beatitudes, right? That's poverty and powerlessness, which eventually gives way to resurrection, right? This is laying down your life knowing it was never worth clinging to because it was fading all the while, but that there's a different kind of life that's being given to us if we let go of the one that we think we need. And so Jesus gives us this incredible gift. He says, that poverty, that meekness, that aching, that longing, don't run away from it. You can actually sit with it. You can embrace it. You can let it mark you for a moment because on the other side of it, there's a fundamentally different experience of life and it's called the kingdom of God. 
It's like he's saying, don't you know that you keep turning your back on the best and most enduring gift? Don't you know the power that you are clinging to is no power at all? Don't you know that the life that you are clinging to is no life at all? But don't you know there is a fundamentally different way of being human? There's a fundamentally different power that you can root your life in. There's a fundamentally different kingdom that you are being invited into. And I want to show you what that's like. I want to give you the best kind of gift, but it's waiting for us on the other side of these difficult things that we keep running from. It's waiting for us on the other side of letting go of the power that we think we need. And so he stands on the hillside and he offers these absurd statements. Are you the worst kind of person or are you living the worst kind of life? No matter, I call you blessed. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you want, Jesus says, I will lead you into it and you will never look back. This is the promise of uh, where we're going uh, we did this last week. We want to do it again. Sometimes if you're around this community, you might discover we take our time sometimes. Um, we want to return to these beatitude blessings one more time. And I said this last week. I want to say it again today. Would you use this moment to set your intention uh, for the next several months of our life together as a community? We're really serious about this. We, we want to follow Jesus in these pictures and practices of, of God's kingdom. Um, because who would want to miss out on this gift? So as we um, are led through another meditation on these blessings before we go today, would you use this moment to set your intention? Would you listen to your own heart and ask yourself, is there anything inside you that believes the promise of these blessings? Is there anything inside you that thinks Jesus might be onto something? And if that's the case, wouldn't you want to follow him into that? 